0: everyone and welcome to Outside the Crystal Ball episode 21. I'm Emily Minton and boy do we have a fun show for you guys this week. I've gotten some of my family and friends together to share with you their spookiest paranormal stories just in time for Halloween. And if you are experiencing something spooky in your home or someone that you know is experiencing something unexplained, reach out to us. Black Creek Paranormal Services at gmail.com Especially if you're local-ish in the Northeast Florida, Southeast Georgia region, we would love to come and check that out for you. Now, before we get started today, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to whatever platform you guys are listening to us on. And without further ado, let's get started. Our first story tonight comes from Patty and John in Louisiana they're going to tell you about their experience staying at the very haunted Myrtles Plantation. So I'm
1: Patricia. I am John. And we are the Englishes. And about what, three, four years ago?
2: More than that, probably six years ago.
1: So we went to the Myrtles Plantation um, in Louisiana. Supposed to be one of the most haunted places. And so we went with a group of friends and it was beautiful grounds and all that um very
2: old house
1: very old from
2: the 1800s
1: we checked into our rooms we were staying in the main house and <clears throat> some friends of ours we were in an adjoining room so we had a door that we could just it was a it was joined with theirs and then we went down and we did a tour And they told us all about the plantation and the history of the plantation and um, the things that happened there.
2: Yep, filled us up with the haunting stories. That's good.
1: Yes. And we, during this tour, they were talking about the children's room was the most haunted, the most active room.
2: Which was our room.
1: Which we had no idea at the time. So while we're going on this tour and they're telling us about the things that happen in the children's room, I'm like starting to freak out a little bit because I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I want to be in this room. But we continued with the tour. And um, meanwhile, one of our friends, he had to go to the bathroom. And he went to the bathroom and came back and everybody that went on this tour, other guests, they were just like, can we go to your room? We want to see the children's room. So we're like, sure. So we went through our friend's room and then opened the door to our room and everything in our room was disarray. It It was all over the place. Our suitcases were unpacked. The clothes were thrown around, the blankets, the bed, everything was a mess. And I know I was probably white as a ghost because I was freaking out, but it was a joke. Our friend that went to the bathroom, went up into the room and did this to our bedroom. So that was a little fun little adventure. Everybody was laughing at it. At first, everybody was silent, like, oh my gosh. So anyways, so we, we went down and we were looking for orbs because they say if you took pictures, you know sometimes you can see the orbs in your pictures when you check them out later so we did that they had a little courtyard where everybody would sit and just have some drinks and just talk and meet other people that are staying there and we did that for a while and then we all go to our rooms to go to bed
2: yeah we did that at about 11 Mm o'clock one thing that was crazy about the house um there was no one there. There was no caretaker. They just basically said, Here's the keys to the to your room. Have a good night. Call us if you need us. Like call on the phone. <laughs> it's right? almost
1: like they were like, We don't want to be here during the night. Here you guys go. Have fun. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, that was really weird. I'm like, oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So, you know. I told John, don't let go of me the whole night. Don't let go of me. Because we heard stories of people being dragged out of the bed, the bed shaking, this and that. So I was terrified. I mean, I was excited to be there. I was hoping to experience something. But this was a little bit beyond what I was hoping for. So anyways, fell asleep. John's holding on to me tight. Um, But at one point in the night... I wake up, I'm on my back, I'm being pinned down from something. I didn't want to open my eyes because I was terrified. I could not move. I could not talk. I'm trying to elbow my husband in the side. And it was I was being held down where I couldn't move. Um, that lasted for a while. Um, and then it was gone. Just all of a sudden it was gone. I didn't tell John about it. Uh, I didn't go back to sleep for a long time because I was scared, but I didn't tell him about it. Um, The next day we're driving home and we were with our friends in the car and they were like, did anything happen? This and that. And then my husband, me, yes.
2: Oh, do do I tell my story now? So I basically had a very similar experience. It was early in the, it was like two, three in the morning. I did notice it was cold. It wasn't freezing. I mean, I couldn't see my breath, but it was cold, which was very odd because we were like in the summer or it the summer. fall. Yeah. It shouldn't have been cold. And I felt the exact same thing where some presence was holding me down and it was telling me not to look, not to open my eyes and not. To say anything. And I certainly complied very, very much so. It was, it felt like it was like like a predator. It wasn't, it, I didn't feel evil, but I felt like it was a big polar bear or, or grizzly bear just sitting on me, kind of checking me out, assessing me. It, it didn't feel like it wanted to hurt me, but I felt that it could if it wanted to. And exactly. I complied. To I complied. I just, I just stayed there. And then I don't think it lasted very long. I think maybe like five, 10 minutes at the most. Yeah. It wasn't long for me, but then after it just left and I was fine. And then I went right back to sleep and that was my experience. And I
1: did not. So John is telling us this in the car and he was very skeptical the whole time. Yeah, so we, for this to happen and I was like, I hadn't even told him about what happened to me. So after that, I was telling him what happened to me. So we both had the same exact thing happen to us at about the same time. And so there you go.
2: That's our story. That's our
1: story. And
2: I am never going back to that place. He I will care. never. No, no way. No way. No hell. No way.
0: <laughs> he will never go back. Next, we have a story from my very own mom. She is sharing a story. About a time, my grandmother let us know she was around.
3: The story I have, I want to tell you about two people in our family, my youngest daughter and my mother. But I have to give you some backstory um, first. So my youngest daughter was born uh, three months premature, and this was 42 years ago. So uh, medical science has come a long way since then but she was in the neonatal intensive care unit she was um she only weighed 2 pounds she was very very sick she had every um organ system there was something you know some health concern with everything she was on the respirator at 1 month old she had heart surgery she was in the nicu for uh over 6 months before she ever came home so it was a very very difficult difficult time Um, Back then, I don't know if they still do it, but back then, the nurses told us that the babies that do better have um, little stuffed animals that play music in their little bed. And so, of course, we made sure Melissa had plenty of those. But the one that was the most popular was a little pink and blue elephant that played You Are My Sunshine. And whenever she had to be stuck for blood gases or IVs or blood work, which was multiple, multiple times a day, um, the nurses would, after she would be stuck, they would wind this little elephant up. It would play You Are My Sunshine. Her oxygen levels would go back to normal. Her heart rate would go back to normal. And all of the trauma she went through from being stuck, the little elephant that played You Are My Sunshine seemed to make better. So that elephant became really part of her treatment so she just to let you know she uh you know overcame everything and she's had basically a very very healthy healthy life um now fast forward about maybe 15 or 16 years later my mother who was a very devout christian woman She was very kind and thoughtful. She was always doing something for somebody, always. And one year for Melissa's birthday, she gave her a little locket that when you open it, it played You Are My Sunshine, um, reflecting back to the time in the NICU. Uh, That song just seemed to be our theme song for Melissa. So my mother gave her this little locket. You open it, it played You Are My Sunshine. Melissa just... um, Cherished it because, you know, it played that song and also because her grandmother gave it to her. Um, Not too long after, my mother uh, needed nursing home care. And um, a little bit after that, she became ill and went to the hospital where she passed away. Um, A nurse at the hospital had called me at work. We lived six hour, a six hour drive away from where my mother was. She'd call me at work and the nurse said, you know, you need to get here if you want to see your mom because, you know, time is growing short. So um, we, uh, before we prepared to go, I had said to the nurse, my mother at the time was unconscious. She was in and out of consciousness at that time. And I said, whether she can hear you or not, would you please tell her that I am on the way, that I am on the way to get there and I will be there shortly. And I know that the nurse did that because later that day, my mother was conscious and my brothers who lived there in the town where she was, they were with her and she told them that I was on the way. So I know that she knew that um, when she passed away. So we made preparation to drive the long drive to go to the funeral. And we were all sitting uh, at the church in the fellowship hall and began to hear the sound of faint music and we were all looking at each other and looking around trying to figure out where this music was coming from and my daughter ran over to her purse which was sitting across the room on a table and she pulls out this locket and even though it was tightly closed the locket was playing you are my sunshine and of course We were all trying to make it stop, and we were opening and closing the locket. It would not stop playing. We tapped it on the table. We shook it. We did everything we knew to do, and it kept playing, and it played for about a good minute. And then just as it had started, it stopped on its own, and it had never done that before nor since. So I think that that had to be my mom giving us a sign that where she is Everything is good and everything is okay.
0: Next up, my cousin Lisa is going to share a story about her haunted house in Alabama.
4: Okay, so we had a house that we've been looking at for a 100 years and couldn't afford it and then finally was able to and we moved in in June in 2016 and Everything was good. We moved all our stuff in. We changed carpet. We changed all kind of things about the house. Um, probably after about, I guess, about a month after moving in, and my daughter, started saying stuff about things weird in her room. And I was like, what do you mean weird in your room? She um, slept with us many nights because she just felt a presence. And then one day, the presence asked her to get out, and she said it was a ball-headed person wearing like a white t-shirt, um, not aggressive, not mean. And I thought that's that's very strange. She just wants an excuse to come into my room. So I'm sitting on the couch. Later on, this is like a couple months later, and. My vision, I can see the foyer coming in from the front door. And in my line of vision, I see a man in a white T-shirt. I can't tell what he looks like. Um, He just walks past. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't stop. is not staring at me. It's just that something that you see in your peripheral vision of someone walking past. And I thought, that's really strange. So my daughter, being a teenager, mom's always out looking for her to do something that she's not supposed to be doing. So about two o'clock in the morning, I hear the stairs. We all sleep upstairs. So everybody's got to go downstairs that are wooden. So, I mean, it's its own security system in itself. It creaks. And so you can't go downstairs without someone knowing. So I hear the stairs, and I hear footsteps going down the stairs, and then I hear the front door open, and I hear the front door close. I jump out of bed because I'm like, I got her now. She's sneaking out of the house. I've got this. It's 2.30 in the morning. So I run downstairs. My front door is dead bolted. It is not unlocked. If you're going to sneak out, you can lock the bottom, right? But you can't lock. The deadbolt without a key. I'm like, that's really strange. How did she get that lock that fast? Because I was on it, you know. So I go back upstairs. She's asleep in her bed. I go in my son's room. He's asleep in his bed too. Then I thought, you know what? Joe just went outside. I said, that's really strange. I said, I think I got Joe going in and out of the house. So the next day at work, The lady that we bought the house from was a nurse and she had come into the laboratory where I worked and brought some lab samples. And I said, you know, Michelle, you ever hear or see or anything? And she stopped me with her hand up, pulls out her phone. She calls her daughter and she said, Lisa's seen Joe. I said, stop, stop. Who's Joe? So a back story from many, many years ago, um, there was a group of kids that were riding their bicycle down to the creek and have to ride past this house every time. And the lawnmower was in the yard, still running. And there was a man down beside the lawnmower. The man wasn't breathing or anything like that. So they go and get an adult and they come, they do CPR and all this stuff where the man does pass. And so she has put in the identity of this man who passed away while mowing the grass. He had a heart attack, he's mowing, he's hot, he dies. So in her mind or her understanding, she feels that Joe is this man who was outside mowing the grass. And so who's the man? right? Who died mowing the grass. So we locate the actual man's family who died while mowing the grass. This man didn't live at this house. He lived at the house to the left side of the house that we had bought. And that's actually where he died. So he didn't die near, he died near the house, but not in the yard of the house. But ever since Joe snuck out and I talked to Michelle and we realized that this may possibly be this same person who's never moved on. So after that point, no one was ever afraid to be around Joe or it was just more of a common presence than it was just something passing in your peripheral vision. He never sat down and talked with anybody, but he did things like closed doors. Um, he did things like walk up and down the stairs, just milling around the house, not destruction of any kind. Um, didn't bother anybody other than asking my daughter to get out. But that was it. That was our story. And we lived with Joe for for 15 years. So uh, we spent so all awesome. the house. Yeah, we sold the house and I don't know if the new neighbors have any idea of who Joe is. We didn't disclose that.
0: <laughs> I will tell you that the times I stayed at your house a lot while, while I was there and I would stay in Jernigan's old room, you know, once she got old enough and moved out on her own with her family, I stayed in her old room and I don't get scared easily. I go into many a building that are dark and spooky and by myself but that bedroom I had to leave the closet light on
5: to yeah sleep we that, always did
0: about that room something about that closet always gave me a little bit of an uneasy feeling It wasn't scary
4: but it was like
0: hmm I don't I don't really want to look in the door to that closet
4: <laughs> we always kept the closet door shut mm-hmm. um less things did happen with the door shut but I don't know if that is a A mental calming that, okay, Joe's in the closet, just leave him in there. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, He was never aggressive after, you know, we kind of understood the story behind what happened, if that's truly who that was.
0: Our next story comes from fellow paranormal investigator, Enid. Enid is going to tell us about a time when she saw a UFO in Puerto Rico.
5: Okay, so my story involves a USA, uh, a UFO, and when we first lived here in Mayport, um, back in eighty nine, ninety, when we moved here, I was a teenager, thirteen, fourteen years old. Um, it was I was probably in going to Mayport Middle School at this time, junior high actually at the time, and a couple of our friends, we all decided, you know, to meet up um in the neighborhood and walk around it was probably about 12:30, maybe one o'clock in the morning and of course we're all like walking having a good time and it's really dark outside but you could see the stars and it was amazing i suddenly one of my friends look up and they're like oh my god look at that shooting star and i was just like oh whoa that's not a shooting star it's not going anywhere it's just like slowly just hovering and it wasn't bright like the usual um, stars that you normally see over here, out here. And I was just like, interesting. So we just kept following it, following And of course, you have to remember, um, no real devices to record the video or anything like that. Um, and I suddenly, it just shoots like really fast. And we're like, whoa, that was crazy. And then I suddenly we see it come back and we're like, and it did that a couple, probably for about 10 minutes. It was insane. And we're like, what, shut up, this is wild. And then it went away and it left and we were all spooked out and we're like, okay, we're all going home before we get abducted and out. So then um, we started hearing a couple of people, I guess they reported it to the news seeing um, wild things in the sky. And we thought maybe, you know, we're not too far away from the launch pad. So maybe a rocket, but no, definitely NASA said they didn't launch anything. Nothing was going on. We are next to a naval base, but it's all um, ships here. And you'll have helicopters, but you could tell the difference between a helicopter um, and something you can't explain. So that was really cool that, you know, are what we saw was in a way validated um, by the other people in the news, but we but this area is actually a really big hotspot for um, unidentified flying objects. So I, even though I have not seen another one again, I know other people that I have around this area, and I think that's pretty neat. So the simple fact that I actually got to see something that I cannot explain was, was awesome. So that's my
0: story. Up next, we have a story from Joe. She shares a very poignant story about her dad.
6: So some background. I, um, I lost my dad when I was 13 years old. It was a very sudden death, very traumatic event in my life. Um, You know, they say that kids are resilient, and I think for a short period of time I was, but there came a point where it kind of just really bothered me that he wasn't around. Um, And there are two different um, things that happened over the course of probably a couple weeks that I'm gonna tell you about. So uh, there was one time where I was home alone. No other members in my family were home. There, the AC was not on. My dog and cat at the time were sleeping. So I know that in this scenario, it, it wasn't anybody else doing what I'm about to tell you. So I'm sitting in my bed at 13 years old. Had gotten home from school not too long or not too uh, shortly before this. And what I did is I was laying in my bed and I was really, really just like thinking long and hard about my dad and how much I missed him. So I was having this thought of like, God, you know, I just wish she was here right now. And all of a sudden, I will never forget it. It's almost like somebody had taken a bottle and sprayed something. Now some background story, my dad used to wear Chanel number no. five. And um, I'm not sure if it was a men's cologne, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But every time, it reminded me of him, and every time I would see him, he would come in the door, you just get this big whiff of it. So back to the bed, I'm sitting there, and it's almost like somebody had taken a spray bottle of this cologne and just literally sprayed it directly into my face. And I remember being taken back because the smell was so strong. This wasn't just a hint of the cologne. It was literally like somebody had sprayed. and I. I knew it was him and I had told my mother about it and um she had told me like the same thing had happened to her now there was no bottle of Chanel number no. five anywhere near me it was at the bottom of my claw or bottom of my mom's closet so it's not like it could have accidentally fallen so that was one scenario now shortly thereafter I had another uh time where i felt like my dad visited me from the the other world we'll say so um i went to bed one night and um dreamt that my father was in the backyard he was wearing the exact same outfit he had passed in and again just like before i had Um, been missing him a lot and I was really just like hoping like he had followed us into this new house and I remember going into the backyard in my dream and I was so incredibly happy to see him and I just remember running and running and the more that I ran and ran it's like he was getting further and further away until it finally just reached a point to where I stopped And he just waved. Now, and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this because I kept that inside myself for a while because I didn't want to upset my mom. She had just lost her husband. But my mom and I were home one day and it was just the two of us having a meal. And I remember telling her this story about my dream. And basically, before I could even finish The last part where I'm running up to my dad, she finished the sentence and she goes, Mary Jo, I had the exact same dream. What night did you have it? She told me, or I told her, and we realized that we had had the same dream the same night. So that's why I know that my dad was visiting me. Dave is up
0: next to tell us a story about a paranormal visitation while he was in the Navy.
7: All right. So I I guess the um, I mean, there's there's probably got a a dozen or more situations uh, in my life. But, um, you know, without going into great detail and things of that nature from childhood to now, I tell you probably one of the most sobering, if you will, situations that happened to me was um, some years ago which kind of still happens to me today. Um, that was when I lost uh, two of my best friends the, um, it went, when I was serving the Navy. So um, I'd been called out on a uh, Red Cross message to um, go see my mom. She was uh, having a surgery. It was life-altering. So with that said, um, I was also supposed to be on a uh, quote-unquote uh, training op. You know, I was part of Naval Special Warfare, what we call special units. Um, we did a lot of different anti terrorist type deals. And, um, long story short, that we pretty much shared. A, I mean, they actually got somebody to fill in for me. Um, that particular day, I was flown back to Corpus Christi, Texas, where I was born and raised, uh, to be with my mom in her operation. Um, so I couldn't go on the uh, the op with him. Um, after that, uh, it's probably, I would say, not even 24 hours later, I got a call. And that call um, was to tell me that my two best friends were killed. Which, when you're, you're in the position that I was in, is a, uh, a pretty tough thing to hear, right, to say the least. And I don't want to go into too great of detail, but um it was bad. You know, so for for several days after that, it was tough for me. And I remember, you know, going through bad dreams, you know, kind of the normal stuff, right? Like what I could have done and this and that and the other. But there was one particular night and I had decided to move into Eric's room, which is one of the guys that uh passed. Um You know, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. I didn't want some some jerk in there. And I remember um, waking up in the middle of the night, and I'm just staring kind of in a daze, and I see the silhouette above me. And I said, uh, hey, Tim, which was my my roommate. I won't say his last name, but I said, hey, Tim, man, did you need something? And then I realized he was snoring. And I, I I looked up and, again, I just this silhouette just staring above me. I mean, and it was very, very clear, very, very, like, you could tell it was a grown man, you know. And um, I kind of bounced up real quick and it, it was gone. I can only assume that was Eric because I was sleeping in his bed, right? Well, you know, people listen I'll say this I mean my whole life I've dealt with things like this my whole life I've been extremely sensitive to things and I think that um the more traumatic experiences you have you um you know it, it kind of brings it on more you, you fine-tune it and you know I, I was always kind of skeptical or more along the lines of the guy that said no no no, that's not me I'm not I'm not weird I'm not this and that and the other and you know now at the age that I'm at now I realize it it's, it's absolutely not weird. Right. So it, it's just part of my life. And for those that, that deal with things like this, it's very real and it's become very real for me over years. Um, and I never really wanted to talk about it, but I can tell you that I've had other situations growing up, several of them, um, to where I would blocked them all out, uh, for fear of ridicule, ridicule, so to speak, and things of that nature. Um, until that happened with what I believe to be Eric, um, you know, and then it kind of opened my eyes. And then, so I say that to say this, there were several times where I would be half awake and half asleep. Um, and I would either see Eric or I'd be just having a conversation with Lance, which is another one that passed or Rick, which is another one that passed. Um, you know, and, the, uh, the VA said, hey, it's because you don't get enough sleep and you're hallucinating and, and whatnot. And then they kind of fixed that. And well, to be honest with you, it still happens, right? So I can tell you that for those out there that think that people who can connect with what I perceive to be the other side, um, you know, like when they make fun of them or you know, or ridicule or whatever, I guess my ask is don't be so narrow-minded. I was for a long time. It was happening to me, right? Today, um, because of all kinds of stuff that I've been through, like, which we won't go into, um, I can literally walk into a house and my skin starts crawling. Um, I get extremely lightheaded or I, I break into real bad sweats and I have you know, little visions pop into my head, which I know everybody will say, Oh, that's whatever, whatever. No, man, I'm, I'm here to tell you, it happens and you can't control it. And you, you, you only wish that you can kind of d- direct the narrative, so to speak, but it, it's so hard to do that. Um, you know, I'm doing things to, to kind of help me out and kind of channel it if you will. But I think the older I get, um, the more that it comes on, I mean, it's, it's real. Right. And I've had several experiences and, up until more recently, uh, I've always been kind of closed off to it more out of fear than anything. Um, I can honestly say that, you know, Eric coming to me at that point and then recently again, um, you know, it's, it's opened my eyes to the fact that I don't necessarily have a curse, but more of a gift. And lately I've, um, decided to kind of encompass that. Right. And, you know, I get There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of haters, so to speak. But I gotta tell you, man, uh, I've been through a lot in my life. I've seen a lot of things that'll make your skin crawl. Uh, part of what I did in the military, et cetera. And um, when I tell you that there, there is, um, there are, uh, I, I wouldn't say gateways, so to speak. That's just what I call them. But other, other parts of, of the dimensions, so to speak, I guess is, is probably a good way to do it. That we don't see and we know they're there—spirits, whatever the case may be. um I've had experiences with, uh, you know, UFO-type experiences and things like that, guys. It, you know, people can say what they want. Like, I mean, and the, the the government can drive their own narrative about it's not real and this and that and the other, and make you feel like you're you're a fake or you're a weirdo or whatever. But I got to tell you, when you live it. And it's part of your everyday life. Um, if you close it off, you're only doing yourself harm. So if you feel things like that, like me, um, you know, try to embrace it a little bit more and, and, and act upon it because there are good points to being able to connect, um, you know, with the other side, as I call it. Um, it's not all a negative thing. It's not. I treated it like that for many years, but you know, and, and again, several situations that I could talk about, but my two best friends that I trained with were gone and this is my way to uh, make peace with that. And and I've decided to embrace it. So that's kind of a, that's my story. And I hope that whoever's watching this can, um, can go, Hey man, I got, you know, I had the same thing happen to me or something like that. Or whatever the case may be, if it helps one person, then then I'm, then I'm happy. If not, then maybe it will in future.
0: Cody is next telling us a story about a visitation in his old home.
8: So it uh, started out as a young age. My dad would tell me stories about my great-grandmother who lived in the property that we were living on when I was a child. And after she passed, she kind of protected the grounds. And we had stories from the nurses uh, telling us that they saw an older figure standing out in the kitchen and and making food. And I didn't believe it until I actually saw it. She was a tall, long-haired shadowed figure standing there just cooking breakfast and if you basically misbehaved in the house she would show a sign and move something or even knock something over it was just really crazy but uh it was a really cool experience and it opened me up to the paranormal and I I wish I actually got to sit down and and talk to her
0: what kind of stuff did she move
8: Uh, She knocked over uh, a stack of VCR tapes standing on a a shelf. And one day my brother made my mom mad. I guess he didn't do a chore or something. And a lighter just flew across the room. It was really cool. And we've had lights flicker. Uh, I don't know if it was electrical, but I feel like it was her sending a signal to us about something.
0: Were there any other instances of things moving around or something turning on and off?
8: Um we, we've heard noises on a baby monitor and it, it kind of made us question, but at the same thing, at the same time, I know they tend to use electronics to communicate and I think she was trying to make herself heard. So she was getting stronger, using things around us and getting comfortable. It was really, really neat.
0: Have you seen anything since then?
8: Um, I have. Uh, I ended up losing my mom uh, when I was 12 years old. And I would have real vivid dreams of her being there. And one day I was at my dad's house and we were just chilling on the couch. And I seen a tall, long-haired shadow. I mean, it it, it, was, it was a dark shadow, but it went from our kitchen to my bedroom. And I, I know it was her. And she's made it twice in my life that I've seen her. It was just... I I had no words. I couldn't explain. And then um, the second time I saw her, I was in my new apartment. And I seen something in the kitchen, same figure, same colored shadow. And it's kind of her showing me that she's attached and protecting over me. Um, I wear her ashes around my neck when I'm not at work. And she's always around. So I feel like her entity is attached to that. I keep it close. Uh, that's all the, the cool stories I got for ghosts.
0: <laughs> the next story I'm going to tell you guys is my husband's story. It's not mine, but he's a little camera shy. So he's told this story to me a few times over the years, and I thought it would be an excellent addition to our show this week. So I hope you don't mind listening to me a little bit longer. This story takes place in the early 90s, well, probably the mid-90s, I would imagine. He graduated high school in 93, so he would have been at this college probably 95, 96 time frame. He was on the tennis team at his college. This was in northern Georgia. And each weekend, not every weekend, but many weekends, they would travel up to one of their team members' family's home in northern Georgia to stay for the weekend to get out of the dorm. Now, this family... Um, This was his teammates, aunt and uncle. This aunt and uncle had three children of their own, all older. Um, In fact, one of those children, um, we'll we'll call him Tim, went to college with my husband, but was not part of this group, if that makes sense. He was not a member of the tennis team, and he always stayed back at school when they would come up for the weekend. So when my husband and his teammates arrived at this location for the first weekend, the Aunt and uncle welcomed them in. They fed the boys. They sat down and they were telling them a little bit about the house. And the house was an older home. It was built on a former plantation site. Um, That house wasn't an old house, but it was built on old land. So as she's telling the boys stories about things that were unexplained in the home, things that would happen would be, for example, objects would be moved and left other places, doors opening and closing. I don't want to say standard paranormal things, but kind of standard paranormal things, right? Now, they never saw anything. They never saw apparitions. They never saw the objects moving. They never saw doors opening and closing. It was all things that they would experience after the fact. So my husband and his friend, you know, they stay up that night, they go to bed, and they are staying in Tim's room. Now, Tim, remember, he doesn't stay there anymore. He stayed back at the dorm. So they were staying in Tim's, Tim's room and they were sharing a bed. My husband was faced one direction and his, his teammate was faced the other direction. And my husband was really struggling to get to sleep. He couldn't sleep very well. And so he opened his eyes at one point and standing directly above him was an apparition that was dressed in what he describes as bibbed overalls. He had a handkerchief tied around his neck he even remembers the color was red he didn't see any facial features and I don't find that that's uncommon I don't see facial features and I speak to the dead all the time so he didn't see any facial features his um but he was standing over him and my husband says that he looked like a farmhand like he had that appearance of just a, a worker So he's standing over my husband my husband closes his eyes and opens him to, to try and clear it out right and he's still there husband does what any you know normal person would do covers over your head pulls him down he's still there he turns and faces the other way in the bed turns around and looks the apparition is still there this man is staring down at my husband and he said finally he he just became frozen in fear and he covered his head up until the sun came up and the sun came up and the apparition was gone and he went downstairs the next morning his, his teammate's aunt had made them a delicious breakfast, and she, he, he was telling her what he saw. And she said, yeah, that's, that's what Tim sees. That's why he won't come home anymore. He'll come home for dinner. He'll come home to visit. but He will not spend the night in this house anymore. He will not spend the night in his own home. He goes to my sister's house down the road. And apparently, what Tim was experiencing from about the age of 14, about the time he entered high school, was that... He would be really, really cold and pull the covers up, right, to to get warm, and the covers would be pulled down off of his body, off of his body. I can't even imagine that happening. He also experienced that the apparition would sit up on the dresser across from the bed and wad up pieces of paper and throw them at him. He never saw the apparition do that. But he remembers feeling it. One of the times he had the covers over his head out of fear, he felt the pressure of the paper balls being thrown onto the bed. And he would wake up many, many mornings and be covered in these little paper balls. He also said that at one point he um, pulled the cover, You know, he tried to pull the cover up and this apparition was pulling the cover off of him and he was a little frustrated, so he tugged it to pull it back and, as to say, this is mine. This is my blanket. And at that point, the apparition grabbed his legs and started pulling his legs off the bed. Now, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. At that point, Tim took off. He ran out of not only out of his room, he ran out of the house, got in his car, and went down the road. This happened to him for years and years. Um, he refuses that from that point on, he refuses to go back into that house. He refuses to spend the night in his own home because of the apparition of the farmhand. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode of Outside the Crystal Ball. It was super fun for me to hear these stories and put them all together for you. Starting in November, we will be back with our bi-weekly regular old podcast, where we'll do half an episode on metaphysical and half the episode on paranormal. If you have any topics that you're interested in, let me know. I'll talk to you guys next time. Happy Halloween.